You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. I want us to continue our seven-month journey through the book of Hebrews, and we are, we are coming to a close, okay? But hopefully you feel like the book of Hebrews is kind of just the, the surface has been scratched in it and only a greater love for Jesus has been stoked in your hearts from this beautiful, beautiful book. Um, it truly has been amazing. This morning, we're gonna look at these 12 commands. The end of this book, similar to many of Paul's letters, the writer of Hebrews ends his letter with all of these series of commands that are meant to be an expression of what the fruit of love for Jesus is meant to look like in our lives. And I, I emphasize that because the context is everything here. The context of these commands is everything. You can think of it like a house being built. It's built on a foundation and the foundation is a pure, brilliant, clear revelation of Jesus that has stoked love in the hearts of people to the point now that there is going to be fruit or byproduct from that love and it's obedience to these commands. So that's everything because I, I would say the church gets this wrong time and time again. I myself have gotten this wrong time and time again. We read commands in scripture and then we just let it to pure willpower to see it come to fruition. We're like, okay, I'm supposed to be hospital. I'm just gonna go do that. I'm just gonna go be, be hospital, which is good for, for a while, but willpower will only get you so far. You read, you read a command, you say, okay, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna stop lying. Okay, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna, and then, then you lie again. Because willpower will only get you so far. It's like dealing with the symptom of your sin, but not dealing with the core issue. It's like you have pain, okay, I'm gonna pop an ibuprofen, it'll get me through, but it's not dealing with the sickness of the sin, and the sin is a misappropriated love. It's a misappropriated affection for these other things. So this whole letter is built like a house on a foundation, and the foundation is the revelation of Jesus. And so, as, as believers, the test of our love is meant to be fruit. Jesus said, you'll know a tree a tree by its fruit. So we're meant to examine our own lives. Even without, within the household of God, we're meant to, to examine the tree and humbly and lovingly call each other higher. Um, but the, the response to a lack of fruit is not just pure willpower. It is stoking love for Jesus. It is us getting on our knees and saying, Lord, my love is misappropriated, it's misaligned, it's, it's going after these other things. I repent of that, I turn to you, set my heart ablaze once again for you. And so I'm gonna actually feel you this morning, before we read these 12 commands, with just fuel for, you know, fodder for the fuel, uh, the stubble to be burned up in love for Jesus. Before we look at Hebrews 13, write down these passages, not the actual words, just the references, write down the addresses here. Hebrews chapter one, Verses three and four, write down those addresses. This is not gonna be on the screen. This is meant to fuel. If you're sensing a lack of love for the Lord because of fruit, you examine your life and I'm like, well, some of these commands I'm not living up to. The, the answer, the antidote, the medicine, the cure is love for Jesus. And these scriptural references will fuel love for the Lord. Hebrews 1 
verses three through four says this, that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You sit on your knees in your bedroom with that scripture before you and allow your heart to begin to burn, to be, begin to burn again for the Lord. That's the answer when you fall into sin, when you, when you begin to mess up with the same old stuff. Don't just leave it to pure willpower. It will fail you. It's so important that we get this, church. Um, the proof of our faith and our love for Jesus will be works. But the answer, if there is a lack of faith or love, is not just to focus on the works. It's to allow our hearts to burn in love for Jesus again. You know, this is, it's so important. It's like if you, if you broke a, a bone in your body and they just wrapped it up with a cast, but they didn't actually... Reset the bone. I've had a, I've had a bone, uh, I've broken, broken a lot of bones in my body, but I broke my humerus once, which was not humerus at all. It was very, very painful. Um, but it actually began to grow, they said it once, it began to grow wrong. It was still at an angle, so they had to reset it after it had started to calcify again. And... Um, the kindness of the doctor gave me an ibuprofen about 20 minutes before he did it, but it was excruciating. It was horrible. But that's the love of that doctor to actually deal with the issue, not just to let it go on. And, and so it is in our walk with Jesus. I don't want to continue to see us as followers of Jesus, continue to beat ourselves up with this uh, gritting our teeth and willpower to be all the overcomers that Christ has called us to be. The answer, the cure, is heart ablaze for Jesus. You cannot continue to sin as you fall deeper in love with Jesus, at least with not the same things. You're not gonna continue practicing sin in the same ways as you go upward and onward with Jesus. Here's another address for you to write down, another reference. Hebrews chapter two, verse nine. He says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Write down this one. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. Write that down. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. It says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us hold then with confidence, or let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Another one to write down. Hebrews chapter eight, verses one and two. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. One more, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Write that down. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. This is when you're, Love, you find your love going after other things. Your affection, you're distracted. 
I'm so often distracted. And the answer is not me continuing to beat myself up, just like, oh, Drew, get with it. No, the answer is me getting on my knees before the Lord and say, Lord, set my heart ablaze again for you. I wanna see you rightly. And then in that place, the Lord sets my heart ablaze with this vision of him seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's us. That's where the Lord's calling us, is to be set apart. So then we get to where we got a couple of weeks ago, Hebrews chapter 10. So we're gonna to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And faith is the fuel of our love. So if we were waning in our love because the fruit of our life is lacking, we look to the author of our faith, right? The author, the initiator, the source of our faith. I say all that to give context to these commands because we so often get this wrong in the church. We, we focus on the commands and leave it to, to pure willpower to, to see it through. But that is not the way this is written. This is written on this huge, robust foundation of the revelation of Jesus that's meant to fuel the outflow of this, the byproduct of a life with Jesus. Are you guys tracking with me? Does that make sense? I know that's a long intro to these 12 commands, but we get that. I've grown up in the church, and we, we get it often more often, or we get it wrong more often than not. Okay, let's look at this, Hebrews chapter 13. This is the fruit of life with Jesus. This is what followers of Jesus should look like, pursue and desire. If we examine our life, we should begin to see these growing more and more in our life. Hebrews chapter 13, verse one, it says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Verse three, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse seven, remember your, your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. Verse nine, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin that are burned outside the camp. Verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. 
Do not neglect to do good, to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things, and I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. It sounds so similar to other letters within the New Testament. These commands of the byproduct of life with Jesus. And in all of the letters, these commands are always at the end of the letter. That's because what I said at the beginning is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't just... He didn't just come to change the exteriors of our life. He came to change us from the inside out. And so that starts at the heart. Filling our hearts with a love for him that actually then begins to be lived out, manifest. There begins to be a byproduct from our life that's seen by our families, by our friends, in life together as a church community. And so here, there's a whole long list of, I counted 12 commands. You may have counted a few more, but depending on how you read it, I counted 12 commands. And I want to summarize these 12 commands in three kind of themes or buckets, okay? These are the three. Love for people, honor, and lastly, uh, pure devotion. That's the last one. It's devotion to Jesus. It's love for others, honor, and devotion. Those are the, the 12 commands. We're going to throw them in those three buckets for us to begin to grapple with what a life with Jesus should look like. So let's look at that, that first one. He, sa he says, uh, he starts with brotherly love or family love within Christian community. So our life with Jesus should be demonstrated or manifest with other people and it should look like family love. It should look like a brotherly love. Let that continue, he says in verse one. In the uh, first epistle of John, he says that we love because he first loved us. So it's out of that revelation of how we have been loved that we begin to love other people. And so as people look into the community of Christ, what they should see is a demonstration of an otherworldly love. Amen? They should see a love because we have been adopted into a family. We're no longer orphans, regardless of your origin story, regardless of where you came from, what your background is, what your history is. We have been adopted into the family of God. And so slowly over time, as we walk in maturity and grow in the Lord, that orphan spirit gets ripped out of us tenderly. Holy Spirit in his surgical precision gets that out of our heart as he wins us over and we begin to look more and more like spiritual family because we're so certain of the Father's love for us that we can look each other in the eyes and love each other confidently. He, he gives, the writer of Hebrews gives encouragement to that sort of family love, and we see that throughout the New Testament. So when we begin to have unforgiveness rise up in our hearts, yes, repent of it, say I don't wanna do that anymore, but don't beat yourself up. Allow the love of God to wash over you. Jesus, in Luke chapter seven, as a sinful woman is washing his feet and all the, um, his disciples and the Pharisees are offended by it, he says, this woman loved much because she, she was forgiven of much. 
She, she, she understood the grace of God that had been poured out upon her. So there was this extravagant love that flowed out of her. So if we're struggling with bitterness towards a brother, towards a sister, we're struggling with unforgiveness, the answer is for us to get on our knees and get a revelation of grace. Think of the love of the Lord has been poured out over you. God has forgiven you. Of course I can forgive my brother, regardless of what they've done to me, regardless if they slashed my tires or um, insulted my mother, right? <laughs> we can forgive because we have been forgiven much. My mother is here, so... Uh, <laughs> Do not insult my mother this morning, okay? Do not do it. Don't mess with my mama. But we can forgive because we have been forgiven of much. We have a revelation of his love, of his grace. And so (laughs) I gave that analogy of popping ibuprofen to deal with the pain. It's not that there's moments in our Christianity where we don't just do that. Pop the ibuprofen to deal with the pain. That is the, okay, that was stupid. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to get up right now after I've sinned and go sin again. You deal with that with willpower, but will, over time in our mature walk with Christ, willpower is meant to flow out of an affection for Jesus. It's not just gritting our teeth. The will is meant to follow our heart and our heart needs to be submitted in love with this beautiful, majestic king that has won our hearts. I hope you guys are tracking with this because this is still just first one, but also under our love for people, is verse two where it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers specifically. You know, so these ones of whom you're not looking for anything in return, you're not doing this to impress people. These are people that don't know you from boots. So you're just inviting them into your house. This is a lost art in the West, amen? Let us be called higher. Let us be called higher. Let's not neglect to show hospitality. And he says, some have entertained angels unawares. Most scholars assume that he's referring to Genesis 18, where Abraham and Sarah actually entertain an angel. And it's not revealed to them till later that it's, a, that it's an angel. But who knows in the heavenlies who we are entertaining and hosting in a sense. Let us be a people of hospitality. I actually thought this week, I want to have the microphone. I'm going to actually ask Alejandra Placencia, would you come? Alejandra was part of a team, the Chi Alpha team um, that went to Southern Asia over spring break. And ever since Alejandra has been back um, from this mission trip, she's she's been glowing, beaming, talking about the impact the hospitality had on her heart while she was there. And uh, every time she talks about it, I feel like it's contagious. So I said, will you just do that? Will you just let your face beam with the love of the Lord as you talk about hospitality and what you experienced there um, for the people this morning? I feel like this is something we need to learn here. And this was in a closed nation, uh, for, for the most part, a closed nation, closed to the gospel. But you know, the gospel can't be closed to hospitality. It can't be. It doesn't matter what the government says, what, what visas say or don't say. You open up your table and the gospel has a has a, is served a place. So we just talk about what the Lord taught you in Southern Asia. Yes, first of all, it was such an honor to go there. Um, and a lot of students got to go as well. Um, but yes, just like when we got there to like the country and um, these, the team, like the locals there, they um, have this house and we just, I have so many fond memories because like the team there 
um, their locals and the team leaders. And so they opened up their home and they welcomed us in. And actually, um, something that really impacted me was that we didn't have enough rooms in the hotel. And they, um, the couple hosting us actually let me and two other girls stay in their house with them. And yeah, just I felt like the Lord taught me so much because we all have like these amazing memories like of just their hospitality. They would cook us meals every single day. We all know like in their living room, like we would always pack so many people in their living room and we would just drink tea together. And oh, like the biggest thing that I saw, cause I could just talk and talk about how much like I felt the love of the Lord. Like I really just saw that they were not inward looking. They were not focused on themselves. Like the people hosting us and the locals there, they were so concerned about serving us. They were so concerned about making sure that we had food to eat and you know, like the Lord says, perfect love cast out all fear. And so like in that community, you're like, wow, like you feel no fear because the love of the Lord is there. And I remember just sitting in the, in the living room and I felt so at home because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? The body and how you can feel that in a whole nother cultural context. Like it was, I'm not in America, but still I felt like I was right at home. Wow. And I remember like one of the, Right, like just seeing how they weren't focused on themselves. And the Lord, the biggest thing the Lord taught me there was not being inward looking, um, mm. being more interested in others. They were so inter- interested in us and how they could serve us. And the Lord really laid Philippians 2 on my heart, like just when I was there. So Philippians 2 says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who taught he was who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to hold on to. But he took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the Lord really taught me, Alejandro, like, it's so easy in the West to just be like so individualistic and like mm-hmm. oh like it takes so much work to like invite people all this stuff but I just saw it done so effortlessly and the Lord said Alejandro you'll never know my heart unless you're interested in others wow. right the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart all your mind all your soul all your strength and the second is like this is to love your neighbor as yourself and that's when you will know my heart so not being focused on ourselves but literally because we love the Lord, then we will love our neighbors. Then how much more of them will we love our brother and sister? And they did that so well wow. in Southern Asia. And I was just so impacted. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Alondra. We, I just feel like we live such private lives uh, in the West so often. And so hospitality is kind of more foreign to us. So when she came back, it just began to light a fire in my heart. Not just to, Drew, we need to host more. Drew, I, you know, in our home, I feel like our home is oftentimes filled with people. But to more hear the heart of the Lord. Lord, show me your heart of hospitality. And what did Jesus do when he came? 
He came and oftentimes gathered around the table and talked about the kingdom of God. It was there around the table the gospel is shown and seen. And so let us set our hearts to Jesus himself who was there at a table. Don't take his lead on inviting yourself over. You know, Jesus would sometimes invite himself over to people's houses. Don't do that. Um, he was Messiah. He was Christ. Um, but do, do host people. Um, show hospitality. The third command here that's still in that first bucket of loving others is remembering those who are in prison. And specifically, he's referring to uh, you know, those who are uh, falsely accused and in prison and in prison because of religious persecution. He says, let's not forget them. How easy is it, is it for us just to kind of then hunker down and go into survival mode looking out for ourselves? He said, that's not the body of Christ. Let us remember those who are actually in prison, those who are away, let's seek out ways to, to help them. And so in our current modern age, um, we still have that call, that, that command to remember the, the, um, the cry of those who are persecuted, specifically the persecuted church. Um, if you ever want to hear about stories of what the Lord is doing in some of these most difficult places, uh, reach out to our missions team and they can fuel you with things that the Lord is doing around the earth in some of the most difficult places on the earth. We just got a call uh, a couple months ago from a dear sister in Christ who was imprisoned um, for her faith and the call for us to help and the Lord miraculously provided. Um, and those are the things that we're called to not forget but for us to remember those that are imprisoned and to pray for them, but to also seek to meet their needs. That is the heart of Christ and it's fueled by a love for Jesus. So that's the first bucket is love for other people. The second is honor. That's the second kind of theme of fruit that we're meant to demonstrate in our life is we are meant to be people that demonstrate honor. Why? Remember all those passages I just read? Because we're submitted to this one who is called the Majesty, capital M. And the Son of God who sits at the right hand of the Majesty. We're submitted to him. So when we're looking up, like it's, it's easy to honor other people and see things rightly. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis said that a proud man is oftentimes looking down on others, so then he's unable to see anything above him. And so tied with honor is humility, rightly seeing ourselves before the Lord. It's not, it's again, that's not beating ourselves up, looking lowly upon ourselves. It's looking up at the Lord. And when we're looking up at the Lord, we can honor his way, his way of seeing people, his way of ordering the universe, ordering the world. And so the first example of honor in this passage is in regards to marriage and in human sexuality. Verse four, it says, let marriage be held in honor so a person that loves Jesus will seek to honor King Jesus in his way, and he is a bridegroom. He is a bridegroom awaiting a bride, and this story has been written into the Bible from the very beginning, and it's there again at the end in the book of Revelation. It's this story of marriage. So marriage in our modern age is being wrongly pegged as some arbitrary, subjective human institution. When that is, a, that is a complete fabrication and lie. And as the church, we need to honor that here. We don't need to fight the wars of the world. I'm saying here, we need to wholly uh, regard marriage as something sacred, as something God instituted, something God wrote into the, the fabric of his creation order from the very beginning. Like, like the beginning. 
the beginning, beginning. Like Genesis 1, Genesis 2, there it is. There is marriage. So if the government wants to recognize marriage and its benefits, great, do it. But here in the house of God, we regard it, not because the government does, they, they could do away with benefits of marriage tomorrow, and we would still regard marriage as something sacred, as something holy, as something um, amazing that God designed, because th- that's the king that we're submitted to. That's what honor says. Whatever you say, King Jesus. And so what flows out of that is also sexual fidelity, sexual faithfulness, seeking to live sexual, sexually consistent and moral lives, not being adulterous, and so there, there's so much confusion within the church in our current age, and I would, my, plead, my plea to us as a church family is that we continually find ourselves on our knees saying, God, have mercy on our generation. Give us eyes to see with clarity, with conviction, how to communicate your message of the gospel to this, to this generation, to hold uh, in honor your design in your way, your better way, King Jesus. It doesn't mean there's not mercy, there's not grace, there's not forgiveness, there is. But all the more, as we submit ourselves to King Jesus, he teaches us his better way. Amen? And so right now within the church, there's all all sorts of confusion about what the Bible says about sexuality, what the Bible says about marriage. And I'll just tell you, it's, it's flat out wrong. You know, in terms of the Bible talking about polygamy with, um, any sort of affirmation is a complete fabrication, it's a complete lie. Polygamy is never seen as something positive in scripture, ever. It's something almost the Lord, because of their hardness of heart, overlooks. Actually, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says that very thing in regards to divorce. And I think in, in the church, we need to rightly understand how to minister to divorcees with grace and with mercy while still not giving an inch to the sacredness of marriage. And I think we can do it. Jesus did it. He could have grace.
These are ones that we should honor, that we, we should seek to submit to because God has set up a spiritual family and a family without roles is chaos, right? If a family doesn't have certain structure to it, not so much hierarchy. Jesus didn't come to, he came to, he said, servant leaders go, go low. They serve by example, and that's what he says. Obey your leaders, uh, submit your leaders, imitate their way of faith. That's why in our church family, the leaders park the furthest away. That's why the leaders are getting last in line for food. That's why you'll see leaders within our house, our trustees, they, they are getting low. They'll pick up a piece of garbage off the ground because they're, they're seeking to imitate the way of Jesus. And so we, we honor our leaders. We honor them and, and we, we pray for them. We, we uh, seek to submit our hearts to them. And when we find our heart veering away from that into any sort of uh, rebellion or subordination or disrespect, we submit our hearts to the Lord. Say, teach me your way, Jesus. I want to honor you. You're the head of the church. Oh, and you've set up certain roles, certain parts to, to uh, bring your body to be demonstrated on the earth. I want to submit to that. It's not so much your will in this individualistic age. It's submission to King Jesus. And within that, he'll call you to submit to other people within the church family. I say that awkwardly, not asking you to submit to me just as an individual. I'm saying submit to God's way. And that includes pastors that we have amazing elders, submit to the elders. That means trustees. It means submit to the trustees that serve selflessly. Um, both our elders and trustees are phenomenal. The elders, I would say 90% of what they do is the back closet prayer and intercession for our church. It is the, the, the secret of this church, the health of this church, is the loving intercession, the sacrificial intercession of our, of our elders. I say that humbly. Um, our trustees are phenomenal. You know, last weekend, we kicked off this project of dealing with this water issue that we've had in our basement of the church. And you know who was down there serving? It was many others, but our trustees were leading the charge. So thankful for our trustees dealing with wet basements. Um, that's what I'm talking about. They, they humbly serve Jesus. And we're, see, we're, we're called to imitate their faith uh, and look at more and more like Jesus. Amen? So that's honor. First was love for others. It's the first fruit that we see in here. Second is honor. And the third is devotion. Third is devotion. It says this. Keep, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So this, it calls out, the writer of Hebrews calls out this tendency for all of us to chase after material things to have a love of money. Jesus says we can't serve both God and money. We can't have this divided heart. So we pray that prayer. I believe it's Psalm 86 where the psalmist says, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. There we go. Silence the phones, right? <laughs> but at the heart of this is the tender call here, the command, is pastoral in nature. It's calling out the, the hearers. It's calling us out to trust the Lord as our helper. You find your heart going after material things, after money. You find your heart veering into, uh, into worry or anxiety. 
Again, submit, don't beat yourself up. Submit, repent and submit your heart to Jesus. He quotes Psalm 118. It says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me, right? It's in regards to money and the needs of our age, the needs of every age, roof over our heads, bills to pay. We submit our hearts to the Lord. Lord, you're my helper. You're my provider. You're a good father. I'm sorry for, for questioning your character. And the Lord is so good to provide. He is such a good, willing provider as our father, is he not? I remember my dad teaching me growing up how the Lord provided throughout his days. My dad was, a, for a period of time, a single father of four, and the Lord had to just provide. And uh, my dad would say that sometimes the Lord would just provide miraculously, money in the bank account or an envelope in the mailbox, but most often the Lord would provide by providing overtime for him to work or providing a, a, a second job or second income. Sometimes it does come through us just working, but even all that comes from the Lord. It all comes from the Lord. And the Lord is, is a good father that takes care of his kids. He will provide. So we let, let our hearts be at rest in his presence, knowing the Lord is our keeper. And so that's, that's a matter of devotion. It's a matter of, Lord, I'm not going to serve money. I'm not going to serve my net worth or materialism. I'm going to serve you. You are my king. I'm, I'm devoted to you. Second part of devotion here is down in verse 8 and 9. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not let, be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. He's specifically talking about legalism. He's calling out legalism or any strange teachings of asceticism or external um, obedience that doesn't flow out of pure intimacy and relationship with Jesus and then casting those upon other believers. Those are strange and diverse teachings that are, that are not of the Lord. I love what he says. Let your heart be strengthened by grace. That's the key, folks. Let your heart be strengthened by grace. Grace is both the doorway into the kingdom and it is the continual fuel and source of our life with Jesus. Therefore, we don't have to go after all these strange and diverse teachings. And much of what you find online today is a lot of that people chasing after all sorts of conspiracies and strange teachings that they gather around them all sorts of itching ears. But, that I, but at the end of the day, don't leave our hearts purely in love and devoted to the pure gospel, to, to pure Jesus as enough himself. Similar under the, still in this bucket of devotion and this, over this theme of devotion, it's in regards to sacrificial devotion. He says, let us be called outside the camp. Let's follow the way of Jesus who was actually hung on a tree outside of the city walls. Let us follow him outside, outside the camp and bear the reproach of Jesus. So our devotion, the fruit of our life, should actually be able to withstand reproach, insult. This is something oftentimes we don't encounter as much, but I guarantee you, as you walk with Jesus and lay down your life for his purposes, you will bear reproach. People will misunderstand you, they'll malign you, they will um, mischaracterize you, they'll misunderstand you, be it family or be it friends, 
or be it foe, they will, they will, um, they will come against you. But with that, we're meant to call, we're meant to take joy. We're meant to, because we're following the way of Jesus. That's where we allow our heart to be submitted again to King Jesus. And we say, we're following you outside the camp. Oh yes, Lord, you were hung on a tree outside the city walls. And we're gonna follow you. And lastly, in verse 50, I'm gonna call Scott to come to the keys. Let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name or bear allegiance to his name. That is devotion. It's a devotion to our king, allegiance to his name, lips that continually talk about him, that um, speak of our devotion to King Jesus. And so the answer isn't to, again, beat yourself up, to hit yourself upside the head because your lips are not constantly talking about Jesus. It is, go back to Hebrews 1, verses three and four, and look at him, the radiance of the glory of God, which is the imprint of the nature of God, and allow your heart to burn for him. And you can't help but talk about him and his goodness. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.